Why is it so hard to pray? We could make a, a list uh, with a lot of reasons on it. I started one with issues either I've felt or others have talked with me about, honestly. Like it's discouraging when I pray and those prayers are not answered. Makes me kind of doubt or get cynical. Or the way I was taught to pray with kind of a daily quiet time in a certain format doesn't really fit me or my life now. It just, it's boring. Um, or the person who says, if I'm honest, I just don't believe in God the way I used to. I grew up in kind of a, my church was kind of messed up and I'm still sorting out what I'm keeping and what I'm not. Well, every, there are more reasons beyond that, and every one of those may be true for us at one time or another in our lives. But tonight, I want to look at another reason we struggle to pray, and I think it's one of the biggest. A professor at Regent University in Virginia who studied why people struggle to pray says it's related to the number one reason that Christians give him as to why they struggle to pray. So... It's one I'm very familiar with, and I'm guessing some of you are too. So, uh, thankfully, though, Jesus teaches his followers about prayer, blocks to prayer, and then he shows us how he prays. So he tells, then shows. So both ways we learn from him. And I I invite you to learn from Jesus tonight, to just kind of watch him and hear him. And my hope is that you'll gain a greater freedom to pray. I hope that your desire to pray will actually kind of be kindled and and come back up into flame. Look, if you would, at Matthew chapter 6 and verse 1, Jesus teaches, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them, because if you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. And then down in verse 5, he applies it to prayer. When you pray, he assumes we will. Don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Now, this is something that we don't see a lot, what Jesus is describing here. Public prayer. About the only public prayer we get these days is before the NASCAR race. Um, But Jewish faith takes prayer very seriously. And Jewish men of the time were expected to pray three times a day, morning, noon, and night. Just like Daniel did, just like King David talks about in the Psalms. Uh, Women prayed once or twice a day on either on the theory that they were caring for children, couldn't do three, or on the theory that they were closer to God and didn't need to do three. I'll let you pick. If possible, you prayed in the synagogue. But uh, with others there, of course. But if you couldn't, then you prayed right where you were, which included on a street corner. All right. Now, all of this is what people have been taught, what they're used to, what they like. And now Jesus challenges what's going on underneath of that. He says, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, 
pray to your father who's unseen, and then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And I'm sure many of his listeners were thinking, but Jesus, if I go inside, no one will know that I'm being faithful in my three times of daily prayer. They'll think I'm lazy. They'll think I'm godless. But Jesus lays down this bedrock principle that to pray, we must make a choice. We can pray to be seen by people, but that means no reward from God. Or we can pray to our Father in secret, and that means reward from God. Okay? Or we might say it this way. We can pray to get people's affirmation, but then we don't receive that from God. Or we can pray to get God's affirmation with that heart and motivation, and that God affirms and rewards. So in order that we can pray in a way where the Father is pleased, here's what we have to do. We have to choose to actively give up the affirmation of people which we would love to have and could have in order that we can do something that is not seen and not rewarded. I can't have it both ways, though. If I'm going to pray, i got to make a choice between that or this. All right. Now, how do we apply this since you and I do not live in a culture where praying in public is expected or admired? Every once in a while, you'll see where a high school football coach gets the team together to pray before the game and it creates a big brouhaha and there's a lot of blowback and people are not happy about that. Okay, so we do not feel any temptation to go pray in public. So how does Jesus' clear teaching on prayer here apply to us? Well, let's think about the, that this way. If, praying, if public praying is admired in that culture, what is it that's admired in our culture? I think Eugene Peterson got it right, put his finger right on it when he said, I live in a society in which the busier I am, the more important I am. Which explains the introduction scene in so many rom-coms or films that want to establish that the lead character is someone very important. They walk into the office and already there are people waiting for them with folders, file folders, and they follow them onto the elevator. And they're saying, don't forget, you've got your 10 o'clock meeting and then the 10.30 briefing and then the two o'clock thing. And he's, the person, he or she is nodding, taking it all in. They get off the elevator and the people are following this person to the office. You've seen it, you know, many times. Why is that? They're trying to say this person is special. This person is important. For us, it's the unbusy person who's a loser. As Eugene admits, I want to appear important, significant. What better way than to be busy? If I go into a doctor's office and I find that there's nobody waiting and I see through a half-open door the doctor sitting there reading a book, I wonder if the doc's any good. So where does that leave us with prayer? Well, it, it helps explain why when you and I sit down to pray, we often feel like a friend of mine described, I shouldn't just be sitting here praying, I should be doing. Quit doing nothing and start doing something. Right? All right, so now we can apply this. 
in a culture where public prayer is practiced and admired, Jesus teaches, if you want people's affirmation for that, you won't receive God's. And in our culture, where we think prayer doesn't really do that much, and activity is admired, Jesus says, if you want people's affirmation for that, you won't receive God's. Now, see, busyness will get a lot of affirmation for you. It'll get advancement at work. It'll help you feel productive. People will say how much they appreciate that you came and you served and you helped. But according to the, the prof from Regent, the number one issue that Christians list for why they struggle to pray is busyness. Busyness, because busyness squeeze out, squeezes out our time to pray. It squeezes out my energy to pray. It squeezes out my desire to pray. Now, the last thing I, I'm trying to do tonight is place a heavy burden on any of you. Each of you, I know, carries good and necessary responsibilities in your life. You can and you should and you do, and that's wonderful. Bless the Lord. But what Jesus is getting at is our longing for affirmation from people that will block our ability to really pray. And have you discovered, as I have over the years, that part of why I'm busy is because I need to do essential work or care for others. But part of why I'm busy, a different part, is because I want people to like me. I don't want to disappoint them, so I overschedule. And people appreciate me for that, but in the process, I lost my time and energy to pray. And I miss out on the Father's reward. Now, you would think, wouldn't you, that among pastors, part of whose job is to pray, that this would not happen. Ha-ha, ha-ha. Okay, one time a friend from another church told me, he said, I really wanted to see my pastor, so I asked him if we could get together, and he said, yeah, let's meet for breakfast at 8. I was excited about that, so I got to the restaurant, and he was there finishing up breakfast with another guy. And so I waited there awkwardly while they kind of finished up the conversation and then the other guy left and then I sat down. And he said, I really felt deflated. I mean, the pastor was obviously tired and he wasn't hungry now. He said, you go ahead and, and order. So I ordered breakfast and he watched me eat. It didn't feel like we were together. You know, it felt like I was filling a slot. Well, the two breakfast morning may be how you make things happen. Maybe that's how you grow attendance or whatever it is that the pastor is interested in here. But what you miss out on is the Father's reward. Now, if there was anybody who had pressures and expectations from people that we cannot possibly imagine, although the chosen helps you get this, it's Jesus. How does he handle those? Well, look at the passage from Luke, chapter 4 and verse 40. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness. So picture this long line leading up to where Jesus is sitting. And like there's a guy in line. Every time the line moves up and he has to move up with it, he hobbles. He's obviously in very much pain in, in, down in the legs somewhere or in the spine. And then there's a woman who's kind of got like this protrusion under the scarf and she's obviously trying to hide like some kind of lump or growth on on the neck that that's that's hard to see and then there's this kid with complaining about his stomach and the docs don't know why and laying his hands on each one Jesus healed them 
I think we read these passages in the Bible and we forget. He cures. Like, they walk away cured. Can you imagine what this does for those people and how they feel about this? Maybe you saw on the Today Show that at Stanford right now, they're experimenting for people with Parkinson's, these gloves where they run mild electric stimulation into the fingertips in a certain pattern. And they showed video of this guy who was in the trial and he could barely walk into the room. They asked him to open the door, walk into the room and go like eight feet. And I mean, he's hanging onto the doorknob and he's shuffling and stuttering in his step. It's painful. After a few hours with these gloves, they show him walking like normally. And a few days later, he goes back to work. And then like within months or a year or whatever, they show him crossing the finish line of a marathon. It is absolutely jaw-dropping. And when I saw that, I was like, how do I get my hand in those gloves? <laughs> so I sent an email to the clinical trial people. Of course, I heard crickets. But let me tell you, if they said you're in, I would happily drive cross-country and sleep in my car to get that. Okay. Now, that's exactly what these people are feeling. Until Jesus came, they have not had hope. They want him. They need him. So what does Jesus do when he has these good and totally reasonable expectations being placed upon him? Verse 42, at daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place, away from the people, but near to the Father. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. I'm sure they did. But Jesus said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that's why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. For Jesus, prayer comes first. It's in prayer, even over good activity, needed activity, activity he does a lot of and believes in and loves doing. But it's in prayer with the Father that Jesus finds out what his mission is. It's in prayer to the Father that Jesus gains the courage to do it. Even though that will mean disappointing a whole lot of people. You can read the Gospels and it's almost the life story of somebody who disappoints, perplexes, confuses, or angers people. <laughs> it's in prayer that Jesus finds such sweet affirmation from the Father that he doesn't need to desperately get that from others around him. Now, I tried to imagine what would happen if Jesus, same thing here, healings, all that, and Jesus does not go out to a solitary place and pray to his father in secret. So here, here it goes. At daybreak, Jesus was sleeping in. The people came and woke him, and they tried to keep him from leaving them. So he gave in and said, I don't want to disappoint you because I really hope you'll like me. So he stayed there, leaving the people in other towns to go without. Now, this is not the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay. One reason I, I love Savior so much is that uh, Father Bill and Mother Linda created a church culture that tries to help us all reduce busyness. Eugene Peterson called busyness an illness of spirit. And I, I tell you what, I need that help. 
I need it. I've had this motivation, usually below my awareness for a lot of my life that goes something like this. If I don't do something visible and noticeable and important, then people will think that I'm not amazing and that will be horrible. And then I will shrivel up and die. Okay? Now this is what Thomas Merton calls a deceptive fiction. And it's only in prayer that we can lose the deceptive fictions that drive our lives. You know what the truth is? If I don't take on that extra project, I won't die. Life will go on. And you know what else? I won't shrivel up. In fact, I'll probably be healthier and better for it. Prayer becomes squeezed out in direct proportion to how much we are secretly hoping to hear from people something like, I don't know how you do that so perfectly. I can't believe how helpful you are. I'm astonished by how much you've learned on this subject. You're such an amazing parent or grandparent. I mean, and, or whatever it is that you're longing for, to hear. Are we willing to give up that affirmation if the drive for it is squeezing out being in secret with the Father to receive his reward? To pray... We must make a choice. Friends, the reason Jesus challenges our motivations right here is because he wants us to receive something better. He doesn't want us going for this when we could have the reward of the Father. Now, have we, I don't know if we're really clear on that reward that what we receive from him. You could preach a whole sermon from that, but just watching Jesus in tonight's scriptures and then thinking about different points in his life. Here's some of the things you can see that the Father's reward includes for him. The freeing knowledge of what is mine to do and what is not mine to do. The power to heal or the grace to rest. The power to be a centered person who can handle interruptions, who can listen, who doesn't need to be noticed, who can bear with people's failings. The power to see through things. The power to call out hypocrisy. All these amazing cascade of gifts, where do they come from? In time with the Father. You don't get those anywhere else. And above all, the Father's reward, the reward of the Father is the Father. The reward of the Father is being with him. Jesus does not want you or me to ever miss out. It's in the Father's presence that you and I will hear words like, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Or don't be afraid. The Father is pleased to give you the kingdom. Or well done, good and faithful servant. It turns out that the reward of the Father is so much better than what I am craving from people. To pray, we must make a choice. Amen.